The Last Letter by Bart Meehan, performed by Elaine Noon. These are all his letters to me. I keep them in this box on the dressing table and every day I read one, as if it has just been delivered. Here, in this one he asked me to send him a scarf. It's so cold in the trenches, Mother, that everything freezes. Food, blankets, even clothes. I cannot knit. It's a skill that has always eluded me. I suspect because I had a little interest in the tasks that were assigned to my gender. So I asked Mrs Taylor, who comes in twice a week to clean, if she would do it for me. I shall pay you, of course, I said. Not at all, Mrs Owen, she responded. It's my pleasure to help one of our brave boys. One of our brave boys. My sister couldn't wait to be married and have a family, but I always thought it would be a nuisance. I'd never have any time to myself, and there were so many places to see and books to read. But you really didn't have a choice back then. So my mother taught me the piano and I played Bach and Schubert for a parade of eligible husbands. The genteel Miss Shaw presented for your assessment as a wife, a mother, the mistress of your house. This is how I met Mr Owen, who, to his credit, seemed somewhat embarrassed by the whole ritual. A sailor? How romantic, I thought, and I was immediately cast into the adventures of Mr Stevenson's Treasure Island. Girlish notions that blinded me to the real character of the man I would marry. For while he was decent in his own way, when he spoke of his past life at sea, it was not of the exotic ports and faraway lands he'd visited, but the price of pepper and tobacco. <laughs> it turned out there was very little of Long John Silver in Mr Owen. He was a very clean and sober sailor. My mother died a few days before we married, so I found myself caring for both a husband and a father. Suddenly all my childish dreams of travel and art disappeared as I made the transition from girl to woman and finally mother. Motherhood. Others saw this as a fulfilment of a greater purpose or perhaps a biological obligation, but it had never been part of my dreams. However, I accepted I had little choice in the matter and decided to get it over with quickly so I could concentrate on music, theatre and literature. So I followed my mother's advice about the wedding bed. Think of other things and it will be over quickly. <laughs> she was right. The pregnancy was hard. I swelled like a melon and was sick most days. My husband and father showed some sympathy and arranged for a woman to help me with the household tasks. She also helped the doctor in the delivery, wiping my head and whispering in my ear, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I'm not sure how hallowed it was, but I screamed his name over and over again in an ascending scale. 
that all the pain was forgotten the moment I saw Wilfred. I knew immediately we were bound together by art, by life, by love. Do not misunderstand me. I loved his brothers, but they were typical boys. They would have been off to the front in a minute if they were old enough. But Wilfred was different. I tell people now that his first word was beauty, and they laugh. Then when I insist it is the truth, they give me a pitying look, as if I'm an old woman who has created the past she wants to remember. But the memory is clear. He said beauty long before he said another word. He was a poet. That was what he was born to be. Long before he began to write, he would stand by the fireplace reciting the sonnets, or Byron for his father and I, enhancing his performance with waving arms and undulating voice. I was enchanted. But Mr Owen simply nodded and puffed his pipe, clearly disappointed by the knowledge his son would never play rugby for Wales. Still, he had the other boys. Wilfred was mine. We read to each other deep into the night while the rest of the house slept. We argued and laughed over Shakespeare and Milton, even Tennyson and Wordsworth. What memories. What memories. This is the first poem he sent me from the front. Bent double, like old beggars under sacks, knock-kneed, coughing like hags, we cursed through sludge, till on the haunting flares we turned our backs, and towards our distant rest began to trudge. Men marched asleep. Many had lost their boots, but limped on, bloodshod. All went lame, all blind, drunk with fatigue. Deaf even to the hoots of tired, outstripped five-nines that dropped behind. I have often wondered why young men are so keen to go to war. Clearly many are blinded by the heroics of Henry at Agincourt, or the Light Brigade in the Crimea. They want that glory for themselves, and death is such a remote possibility it does not enter their thinking. But this was not Wilfred. He had no vain ambitions for medals or parades. His enlistment was motivated by a simple desire to protect the purple fields of France, where he had spent a summer teaching the children of a banker the complexities of English and history. He fought for love of country. But it was not this country. He fought for beauty. When he told me he had enlisted, my heart was broken. But I said nothing. What could I say? In the beginning, that silent consent of mothers and wives and sweethearts was as important to the war effort as all the bullets and shells that would come later. So I did my duty and straightened his cap. I'm so proud, I said. He was not fooled. I shall be home before you know it, mother. And I will take you to afternoon tea in the theatre in London. 
By then, Mr Owen was the station master at Woodside, a job he truly loathed. When he came home, he sat by the fire, staring into the flames, imagining a life at sea. The quiet man was now mute. My other boys marched in the garden, willing time to pass quickly so they could join their brother, while my daughter was too sick to rise from her bed. So I was left alone in the house, waiting for his letters. As the months passed, the world greyed. There was no more music in the street. The chimes of the tower clocks were like passing bells. Sometimes on a Sunday I would have afternoon tea with a friend, and we tried to keep our conversations light. But ultimately all roads lead to France, and so they faded into facile comments about the weather and sunlight on the river. Afterwards, I would feed what was left of my scones to the swans, and think to myself how lucky they were not to understand. How long can a war last? Over by Christmas? Over by Easter? Over by next year? How much meat do you feed into the sausage maker before you say enough? How much black silk needs to flutter round the necks of young girls? I was never a suffragette. I saw no sense in arguing over whether a woman should vote. What value would it add to her life? Mind you, it's not that I thought men were better than women. Far from it. But they were better at some things, just as we had our own skills. I grew up believing that was the natural order and I was happy to accept it. After all, what harm could it do? What harm? The postman delivered the telegram as the bells began to ring. I'm sorry, missus, he said, and tipped his hat. Outside I could hear people singing in the street. We deeply regret to inform you that Lieutenant Wilfred Owen was killed in action during the crossing of the Sombroise Canal, France. I sat on the chair by my dressing table and thought, seven days is the difference between life and death. If it had ended at 11am on the 4th, he would have come home. But I suppose that didn't have the cadence of a week later. I took his last letter from my jewellery box and read it. There is a place I go in my head on days like this, dear mother. When the clouds are heavy and my men are sitting quietly puffing woodbines while they wait for the whistle. I comfort myself with the memories of earlier times. Of lavender swaying in the summer breeze and village music drifting through the trees. Despite all that surrounds me now, I believe there is still light somewhere in the world, and I hope to find it again one day. I went to the window and parted the blinds. People were dancing with strangers on the street. All that English reserve forgotten for the moment. It was the beginning of a new world, and the future was bright. We had won the war that would end all wars.
What passing bells for these who die as cattle? Only the monstrous anger of the guns. Only the stuttering rifle's rapid rattle can patter out their hasty orisons. No mockeries now for them. No prayers, nor bells. Nor any voice of mourning save the choirs. The shrill, demented choirs of wailing shells. And bugles calling for them from sad shires. What candles may be held to speed them all? Not in the hands of boys, but in their eyes shall shine the holy glimmers of goodbyes. The pallor of girls' brows shall be their pall, their flowers the tenderness of patient minds, and each slow dusk a drawing down of blinds. <laughs>